All right. I think we can go ahead and get started. Sounds good. Let's get started. All right. Welcome, guys, to um, our third episode of Collect Genesis. This is Dr. Ben, um, founder of Cryogenesis. And uh, I'm really excited today because we have really two um, extinguished and really just professionals and experts in your own rights. Um, we've got Sophia Go from Singapore. She's a um, psychotherapist and a professional counselor. She'll talk a little bit more about what she actually does because um, I won't steal her thunder. But, um, and then right across the world, um, <laughs> we have Dr. Trisha, who is a personal friend of mine. We went to the same church when I was studying in San Francisco. And she's a clinical psychologist. And yet, and yes, again, she will uh, share all the stuff about herself. And I won't steal her thunder. Um, yeah, but this is really interesting because we are calling it the mind collaboration, right? Um, last, last month, we had the heart collaboration where we, where we talk about, um, you know, collaboration between a physiotherapist and a chiropractor. And that's just so unheard of, you know. And then uh, a month later, now we are talking about the mind collaboration and getting into the field of psychology with um, two experts. Um, so I, I, for one, have um, a lot uh, of, um, I guess, treatment plans like surrounding uh, emotional pain and, and trying to get people out of chronic pain, which, which has all these emotional connections. So what, once we find that patients get better with their chronic pain, like a lot of these emotions start to go away with it as well. And there's a lot of things that we actually do in chiropractic as well. But I really am so excited because we get to glean from, from people who actually understand so much about the mind. And um, I'm just excited to get started. I just kind of wanted to open us up with um, these three things that, uh, that I consider type, types of collaboration, right? So we have intra-profession, so like chiropractors with uh, collaborating amongst themselves. And it's something that, that I, I personally am hungry to see because um, what I learned in chiropractic history is that the moment chiropractic was founded, like about 100 years ago, there was just so much competition and rivalry that just, just riddled the entire profession, right? Even the founder and the son of the founder like just started you know, um, being in, in, in just conspiring against each other and there was just so much um, disunity, if you will. So I'm really hungry to see how can chiropractors, you know, collaborate with each other. And the other type of collaboration is interprofession is exactly what all you guys are seeing right now, like a chiropractor collaborating with a psychologist, psychotherapist, professional counselor. And then the last one is actually a doctor-patient collaboration. So that really is, um, it benefits from an outflow of, of, intra-professional and inter-professional collaboration. So when we collaborate like that within the profession and amongst professions, the real collaboration that really benefits from all this is the doctor-patient collaboration. So I truly believe that as we, you know, lean in today and learn from each other uh, amongst the three of us, right, and, you, and all your listeners just gleaning from that as well, like you would actually learn how a doctor-patient collaboration can actually truly be beneficial for you. Right, so um, just to kind of preface this whole entire collagenesis, the vision of, of this company, like Chirogenesis, was always to honor you and your future generations by equipping you with health. So I really hope that every one of you guys listening today, including myself and Sophia and Dr. Trisha, we all feel more equipped, you know, with quality health, uh, whether in terms of the, the practitioner standpoint or from a patient's point of view, like we all can be equipped and the whole the whole goal is to really make all of us feel honored because all of us have our own specific skill sets and we all have something to bring to the table and that's just amazing to watch so 
without further ado, I kind of wanted to kind of put out some questions there. And I think the most important thing when someone walks through our doors, right, Trisha and, uh, and, uh, and Sophia, is the history taking. And I understand from our call uh, two weeks ago that my history taking is actually quite, obviously it's more centered around pain and all this stuff. But I also find I have a lot of people who, who come with some form of coexisting problems. And I actually did a little bit of a survey on my, on my own database. Mm-hmm. And about 70% of my patients actually have some sort of anxiety. And this is actually really, really worrying. Um, and, and not to say that, that, I, that, that, that I tell the patient like, oh, hey, I'm gonna help you with your anxiety. But for some reason, there's always this sort of um, alleviation of anxiety symptoms after they get adjusted because stress goes down and they are, there's, there's more blood flow to the brain and they, they're able to make more, you know, better decisions and all that stuff. But 70% uh, face anxiety and that's just something that's quite worrying. I wanted to quote some stats that, that, that I was looking up early on. And um, there was this stats that came out from the, the Ipsos.com. It's this French company that, that, that um, deals with mental health. And they, they had an article sometime in May last year. And this was like a, just a month after um, Singapore went into circuit breaker. So for, for all you guys who don't understand what circuit breaker was, it's pretty much a lockdown. We had a massive lockdown starting early April last year. And it says one in four Singaporeans said they've been not in good mental health. One in four. That's 25% plus. And... Um, yeah, I kind of want to read this, this little paragraph. It says, when asked about their mental health, right, majority of Singaporeans, 70% indicated that it was fairly unchanged over the past seven days. And this was just right after circuit breaker happened. While 14% said it is getting better, we see a concerning 20% who share that same, uh, share that they deem, they deem their mental health is getting worse. And this was only a week into circuit breaker. Now we are more than 365 days post the first circuit breaker. And now we are actually on the verge of possibly going back into a lockdown uh, with the community cases rising and stuff and restrictions tightening up. Like I'm not able to see as many patients as I can in a day. And even even this company that, that we work for, um, um, as in what we work within, right? The whole floor upstairs, all the group classes, fitness classes, they're all closed. And all these are just getting fear, like, you know, perpetuated throughout the entire country, you know? And so with that in mind, I think that's a good preface for how we actually want to, I guess, let the, our, our listeners know how we can actually change um, your thinking about how, you, how your body can heal, how we can help you as professionals, just by focusing on history taking primarily, like first and foremost, history taking. So I kind of want us to, you know, we can hand the mic over to Dr. Tricia. I kind of want you to talk a little bit about how you take history on a patient when a, with a typical patient, whether it is you change something um, halfway through COVID or, or how you've been doing it all along. Could you just kind of enlighten us on how you actually do that? Yes, sure. So thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, so what I do is initially I do a social history on each patient before even starting psychotherapy or treatment because it's very important to get someone's history like their family history everything yeah. um, so it's interesting because what, a couple of the first questions also has to do with health we do ask um where i work or i ask specifically how much tobacco do you smoke um mm-hmm. are you a where you a smoker how much caffeine intake do you take mm-hmm. um coffee tea that sort of thing because all of that can um, exasperate 
anxiety. It could perpetuate it. It can make it more, right? All these things. But I ask about their family life. Are their parents together? Did they grow up with both parents? Did they grow up with one parent? Are they married? Do they have kids? What are their hobbies? Mm-hmm. Um, if they smoke any um, cannabis or edibles, if there's any drug use, um, past hospitalizations, specifically psychiatric hospitalizations, any suicidal ideation, if they ever had the urge of hurting themselves, or if they do hurt themselves, um, some people do self-mutilate, such, such as cutting and, and what have you. So we do ask those questions. Um, history as far as any trauma, any mm-hmm. sexual abuse, because during COVID, when everyone's on lockdown or isolated, you have your, just, you're just in your thoughts. And sometimes you can ruminate and think about past trauma. It can pop up yeah. when you anyone else to talk to. That's why it's so important to seek therapy during these times. So I do ask, do you have any past trauma? Were your parents ever um, abusive in any way? Um, were you ever abused? Any alcoholism that runs in your family? That sort of thing. I even ask if they have pets mm-hmm. because pets are very healing. Um, as you know, and during COVID, many people adopted pets, um, mm-hmm. specifically dogs and cats, because they felt lonely. So we, I do ask that history if they if they have any pets. Speaking of pets, my dog just walked into the room. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's here, my golden retriever. But that's the history that I ask. And if I if there's a red flag, a red flag as far as, you know what? I do remember when I was five. This my uh, dad got into a really bad accident, and I clearly remember it as if it was yesterday. I will then ask another follow-up question. So tell me, how, how did you remember this? What are you, the sensation yeah. feeling in your body? That sort of thing. Yeah. What are some of your thoughts you know, coming mm-hmm. to play? So that's a lot of the history that I ask. Right, right. So, so how would you, I guess, handle someone with a physical trauma? So kind of bringing back to, to like, say, if someone has a, predominantly like musculoskeletal pain, like how do you actually bring them, I guess, questioning them um, or helping them with any therapy that you do, um, which yeah. is a lot of them. Yeah, like, like how, how do you actually start a treatment like that? Like based on what the uh, history tells you. So based on the history, if I already know how they got the physical injury, um, I do try to gauge how intense their pain is from a scale mm-hmm. from one to 10. One being the least amount of pain, 10 being the worst amount of pain that they may feel. I ask them to go ahead and uh, do like an invisible body scan of their body, so to speak, from the top of their head to the sole of their feet, basically. If there's anything, any sensations they feel, any pain um, that they may feel in their back, in their arms, anywhere, in their bones, in their muscles. And then we we narrow in on that and we pay attention to to that pain and then we do a lot of mindfulness exercises. I do a lot of that with my patients who have um, physical pain. I've had patients who had cognitive disorders, um, who've had brain injury, who are recovering from um, surgery, brain surgery. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so um, I do mindfulness with, and and we do talk about chronic pain as well. And I collaborate 
other doctors as long as um, I get written permission from the patient that I'm able to talk to someone like you, Dr. Brenner, you know, or some or another physician. So then we can go ahead and collaborate and speak to what is it that you know about this patient. And I can go ahead and say what I know about this patient and what the best treatment plan can be for this yeah. person who's physically hurting. Yeah, I love that. And that's the interprofessional collaboration. That, yeah. That's yeah. really, yeah. Um, I do have some patients on my database that, that we that we actually do. Um, like I get the numbers of the, uh, the other attending physician, whether it's the GP or it's a specialist. And I say, hey, if it's cool, I would love to write your doctoral letter um, because I feel like I can, I can help manage your case. Yeah. Um, and he's like, and the patients often go like, wait, but I don't see how chiropractic in this this field uh, that I'm that I'm attached to can actually collaborate, but oftentimes the patients get get um, quite proven wrong in, in in a good in a good way. They they experience the benefits of like, oh wow, I I actually can deal with my anxiety stuff, you know, in with collaboration um, from from a chiropractic standpoint as well. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So uh, let's move on to Sophia. Yeah, uh, what's a typical patient that you see, and how do you take them through a history? Right. Yeah. Um. So I think the typical patients that I see are um, teens and young adults, mm. and I think the way uh, I found myself nodding quite a lot um, from what my, yeah. my doctor Fisher was talking because I think there are a lot of like similar questions that we ask. Wow. So I think one thing that uh, I think like to add on would be that um, so it's a lot of information mm. to kind mm -hmm. of like collect. From the patient yeah so sometimes it's not something that is done within like the first session itself yeah so yeah. it takes like a few sessions to be able to do the history taking yeah so um from there i think it's also like um, they start understanding themselves a mm. little bit better yeah. yeah so a lot of times like um sometimes there are also patients come in and they they just want to like move on to what's the best way to be able to kind of like fix the problem yeah but yeah. I think like having a better understanding of like their life history or wow. what could be underneath mm. it mm -hmm. um, helps us to be able to come up with like a more comprehensive or more targeted treatment plan. Wow. Because I think the main idea is that you just don't want to take down a fence. So like for whatever issue that is, maybe yeah. it's anxiety, depression, yeah, or maybe yeah. it's like some chronic pain yeah, that this yeah. person is experiencing. Mm. Like mm. you don't want to take down the fence that this yeah. person has built up without yeah. knowing what it is for because yeah. I think it just goes into something else. Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. the entire history taking is very, very important. Something yeah. that takes like a few sessions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's like a mutual collaboration between the clinician and the patient mm. to kind of like gather all, the, all of this information yeah. and then kind yeah. of like check if the yeah. understanding is the same yeah. before moving on to kind of like, um, so this is the treatment plan and then mm. are you okay with it? And then proceeding very, wow. from there itself. Oh, awesome. So like, with relevance to the this pandemic that we're in, you guys heard of COVID? I'm sure you guys have. But <laughs> and, you know, how how have, um, yeah, this is open to either one of you, but how have you guys altered the way you you structure your therapy, um, even from, from the get-go, like at history taking? Like, have you guys been a little bit more con conscious of, um, like, asking, the, asking a different type of question? Because, you know, I mean, just from st just from the stats that's showing, like twenty five percent of Singaporeans, right, are actually in mental health issue. And I think I, I picked out a world world uh, relevant stat as well. And it says twenty six. This is as of twenty twenty October, which is World Health 
World Mental Health Month last year. And says an estimated 26% of Americans age 18 and older, also about one in four, suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. You know, so we have this one out of four statistics just that, that is just blowing up, right? And and it's all relevant to last year. And 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 I mean it's quite easy to say that that it's probably gotten worse or I mean yeah. or yeah, it's probably never got better. If anything, it probably got worse. You know, how do you guys change um your the way you guys take history? Or or your therapy, like relevant to COVID? Anyone can go. I can go first. Um, I do ask my patients if they have, who are their VIPs? And that's very important people. List wow. to five very important people in their lives right now, especially mm -hmm. COVID, because isolation um, can really make the symptoms worse. So I do mm -hmm. ask that and we identify those those people for for um for my patients and how they can contact them how many times they can contact them who is their go-to person in case if there is an emergency if they if my patient is um in a, on a downward spiral as far as being feeling lonely depressed and anxious um i do ask as well do they have a means of, for example, do they have any guns in the household? Because that is definite. We want to find that out because if someone is severely depressed and COVID, as we have seen, there have been suicide side rates. Rates have gone up. There have been suicides even amongst doctors and emergency room doctors. Okay, because of what they're seeing. So we do. I do ask them, do they have a means? And I explain to them. I asking if they have a gun in their household. So I do ask them that. That's something that um, you can ask in a social history, but that is something at the forefront um, mm -hmm. for me. So yeah, that, those are the two major things I really ask about. Um, and I do help them come up with a safety plan if they don't, if they feel like um, they are in a downward spiral and they feel alone and they feel lonely. And lots of people I'm working with have lost their jobs. Well, so I yeah, mm -hmm. financial um, status and their, and um, how well are they doing financially and if they're getting any assistance from the government, that sort of thing. So um, asking those those type of questions. Yeah, this wow, wow. Well, I guess in Singapore, we can't really relate to the whole um, gun, gun law, the, the, uh, the IRA and stuff. But um, yeah, but how, how have you, Sophia, um, adapted your history taking or your just your, your psychotherapy and all that you do, counseling and stuff. How have you adapted that to make it more relevant to COVID? Right. Yeah. So I think before I answer that, I have, I have to say that I really love like Dr. Trisha's, um, what she has mentioned. So I think the entire thing of, it would be like the isolation and the loneliness. So then the change would be a lot of focus on like social relationships. Who are the people that you can reach out to? So I really loved that. Um, so for me, what I, what I felt or what I thought about was, um, so I think like at this point, um, pre-COVID, mm -hmm. so perhaps it would be a little bit more like problem solving. What can we do together to kind of like change the current situation? Wow. But okay. for COVID, I think there are a lot of things at this point that we just cannot change. Yeah. And we really don't know mm -hmm. when these things are going to change as well. So I think a little bit about the focus itself would be, I think, problem solving, but to mm -hmm. a limited extent. Yeah. A lot more of it is also helping to kind of like um, build more acceptance of the current experience, current 
difficult emotions yeah. they are going through and also acceptance of the current situation. Wow. It's so little bit of that, that change in focus yeah. pre-COVID yeah. and I think during this current situation itself. Oh, wow. So, you know, one case comes to mind, as I know we'll talk about testimonials later, and I'm sure these, I mean, the two of you guys have tons of testimonies to share. Um, but there was this one case that I actually consulted uh, Sophia on, and she was very good, really gracious to, to lend me uh, lend me a hand. Uh, so I had this this client of mine who actually has um, like suicidal thoughts. You know that girl that I was talking about, um, and and you know for for I mean she she actually avoided avoided committing suicide, and and it actually came to a point where she was getting affected by her mom as well. You know, and her dad kind of walked out on her, and all that stuff. But and then when I went to consult with Sophie, I said, "Hey, um, I can deal with the pain, like the neuromusculoskeletal pain, but I don't know how to ask the right questions." And what I was really, really, really impacted by was was what you told me about that. So just like how Dr. Trisha, you talked about the VAS, the Visual Analog Scale, right, to kind of list the pain from one to ten. Yeah. You actually told me to do the same thing for her emotions, like like attach a single. Um, like the VIP, like what you said, and also what Sophia said about changing the changeable. So like stuff that you know you can change, you want to change it, and you attach that to a certain number. Like so, if 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 the girl feels like a five out of ten, right, and that would be maybe con contemplating suicide and feeling a certain emotion and wanting to cut herself with a knife and stuff, and these are the list of steps that she has to take. And for me, I, I never thought that. I guess um, helping out someone with a suicidal issue or mental health problem can actually be so structured, you know, because I mean, that's something that, that I personally, as a physician, I just never got exposed to that. And I found that that kind of expanded my game so much because right now when I, when I, when I see her, I said, Hey, how have you stuck with that little um, piece of paper that, that we established? And I have it on my computer and she has her own copy. And, and she was saying that her mom sees the change. And she's able to help her mom too because now she's trying to get her mom to get yo mom like sit down let's do exactly what what um this professional counselor taught us you know and so it was just such an amazing thing to see how we can still help people and bringing bring back to this whole collagenesis um and, and just that being the foundation it's like we i i i feel so humbled to to actually be asking like you guys for help because okay. it, it just makes it just makes me go like i don't know everything you know and I, and, and I don't think every professional that you see should ever have that, that haughtiness or like that, that pride that I, I, I know everything, you know? So, I mean, just looking at how this, this professional, I mean, this, this patient of mine got benefited and she doesn't even know you, you know, but, but she knows that I'm gleaning from you. And, and, and that's just amazing to watch because, I mean, it brings back to the whole um, uh, vi vision of mine, right? To actually honor you and, and, and it doesn't just impact you, it impacts you and your generations too. And her mom doesn't have to spend as much money on medications anymore, and she doesn't have to be as worried about her daughter anymore, and, and all this different stuff. And, and it's just and giving that VAS, that little scale, is actually equipping her with that as well. So you equip me to equip the patient, and Doctor Shi, like you're doing the same for me too. And I believe that it's just gonna man. I can talk about testimonies all day. Anyone hear me? Like, which is <laughs> amazing. Okay, so yeah. Um, so I wanted to move on to something that I was uh, really also um, kind of interested to find out a little bit more about was that you guys have these two therapies that you guys do in common, right? One is the Gottman's theory, right? And the other one is cognitive behavioral therapy. So I kind of want you guys to, I don't know, maybe each of you guys can take one of each.
Uh, but I can't wait to talk a little bit more because that seems to be one of the more common um, methods in psychology that, that you guys do. I mean, my wife, um, she, 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 she did an undergraduate degree in uh, psychology too. And she said, oh yeah, Gottman theory and CBT is like, it's like our bread and butter, you know? And even her now as a speech therapist, a speech pathologist, as they call it in the US, um, she, she does CBT like while talking to people with stroke and all this stuff. So she does, uh, so CBT sounds like something that I am really personally interested in. I think our viewers will be too. So can you guys enlighten us on either one of those? Do you want to? You have so much to I went first last time. You want to go first? Do, do, which one do you want to talk about? Doesn't matter. <laughs> we could talk forever with, about these two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, okay, right. So maybe I'll, I would talk a little bit about Gottman. Mm. So I think Gottman is like a, a framework for, like, for couples therapy. So mm. it's actually a very structured um, approach that is based on like a lot of research wow. um, conducted on couples coming into the coming into the research lab, I think over okay. thousand couples, and then they measure everything. So they measure like their heart rate, um, they measure like um, how they feel, uh, everything. Like So they get the couples kind of like, um, um, what do you call that? Like um, they get their couples like just measuring all the different data. Okay. And then after that, like they measure it in terms of like the conversations that they're having, etc. to collect wow. like, a, mm. a very big, um, amount yeah. of like data on what works okay. in couples and what does not work in couples. Oh. So I think it's like a very well researched um, method. Yeah. Um, and it's um, so I think like even if like they're not doing it in terms of like couples therapy, mm. it's also mm. very helpful information in terms of like having individuals to take back this knowledge mm. to bring it back to their relationships yeah, as wow. well. Wow. Yeah. So I think the main focus of the Gottman. Um, would be to help couples to be able to kind of like turn towards each other right. um, to build shared relation uh, shared meaning um, and then like co-create like a world that they want to see with each other yeah. um, I think it's very relevant to start at different points where the couple is so right. it could be like different interventions to help couples who are highly conflictual right. to kind of like um, learn different ways to communicate mm. or it mm. could also be um, helping couples who are really doing well to kind of like even strengthen their relationship even more. Wow. Yeah, so that is like a method that is um, for couples therapy. But I think it also like, uh, I think we communicate with like anybody, like siblings, mm. mom, mom, dad. So I think like those principles, those concepts. They still apply. Yeah, they still apply. We right, still use right. it in other relationships as well. Right. So how, how about a doctor-patient relationship? Like when you actually um, apply that, like when someone has a mental issue, right? Mm. Um, and, and it's not necessarily a, a, a relationship between, like a problem between mm. the patient and someone else. It's just an individual problem. Can you apply Gottman's principles between you and that person? Mm -hmm. uh, probably not. Um, I think a lot of those like skills, like the listening skills, mm, okay. um, I think they do, they do apply as well. Okay. Um, okay. Perhaps like even in the relation, even in the context of like the session, like relationship. So maybe like building like the shared meaning of what um, the what do both of us want to kind of like accomplish together? Ah, okay. So okay. I think those concepts might not exactly look the same. Right, right. Um, but I think there are parallels because it's still like a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Okay. 
anything else to add, Trisha? Um, no, great. Great. <laughs> I, I, um, I think um, when when couples face each other, what they do is, and and couples can do this when they're at home. They face each other and they each speak to one another as far as what they're feeling, and the other person listens. The other person does not interrupt, just takes in everything. And then um, when they take in everything, when it's their turn to talk, then they basically say how they felt about what the other person said. And then mm-hmm. we, so um, it builds empathy, it builds communication, it builds a seed between couples. They make eye contact, exactly what Sophie said. Um, mm-hmm far as a doctor and patient relationship i agree with sophie said i think empathetic listening is as far as it would go between um patient and doctor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. wow wow actually um, a question just kind of sprung up in my head i'm just thinking because for i i think the last time sophie you told me that one session typically lasts for like an hour mm-hmm. right so i guess for someone like for for, for a doctor like myself and a patient um who's listening to this um within a half an hour appointment, because these are all my, my standard appointment times, a half an hour, how, by what do you reckon would be a good achievable outcome for a practitioner like myself, or even any practitioner who's listening? Um, like, what's an achievable outcome when, when, when time is of the essence, right? Like when you are trying to crunch down on time and you can't spend the entire 25 minutes or 30 minutes just talking about history, right? You gotta sort of treat the patient. Like, what's an achievable outcome? from the field of psychology like how 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 can a practitioner better get into the mind of the patient and understanding um a little bit more i mean because like everything that i do here it's like um it's really clear cut and you know i i i I do that standard protocol in my head and all this stuff but like to incorporate this um really uh i guess like you said empathetic listening like how can i as a practitioner benefit from that Any thoughts? Sure. Um, so I think what, so I would, I would want to be in the world of my patient. I would have them illustrate to me what their world is like, what their internal working model is, what makes them work, what makes them make deci- certain decisions. Um, when I see, what I see achievable is when we do the treatment plan and we see progress, some change, then I know the treatment is working for this patient um, and because it takes work outside of the, se- the session, the doctor patient relationship and treatment, right? So they would have to patients um, also do the work outside as well. And when they come back for the second session or what have you, then we monitor and, and discuss, Hey, did you, how was this? And, and do uh, the scale and, and just discuss. And um, I, I really try to understand my patient's world and help them um, see things differently. Um, if they've been taught things all their lives that were that's just wrong, you know, or toxic, I try to help them see things in a different way. Right. So when I see progress or change, that's when I know the, that we're hitting the mark. You know? Right. So is that like a specific type of theory or question that 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 you, that I that practitioners need to be aware of? Like that could I guess. Um, get into the, the intrinsic world, if that makes sense. Uh, I kind of just, that's something that I do, but I think psychologists want to know the internal working model. What makes this person do the things that 
do? Mm. What makes decisions? What is it that drives this person to achieve this goal or to live this type of way? So we try to understand who this person is because everyone makes decisions differently. Everyone's behavior is different. Um, It could be the same the same situation for different people, but they handle it different. So yeah, why yeah. the cause of the problem? How come? You know, that's more of um, psychodynamic theory. Whereas cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, I would give a patient a thoughts um, and feelings chart. I would ask them to make columns, put down what was the tri- what, what, what was the situation or the, yeah. or the incident that happened, what were they thinking, their thoughts, what were the feelings behind that, yeah. and their behavior and action. Oh, wow. And okay. I asked them, can you envision your best self? Mm. Who is your best self? What kind of representation do you want to have? Yeah. And then talk to them about that, and then they will write it down, and then they take it home with them, and then they monitor. Some, some of my patients do yeah. it. And it's so interesting because then they pick up, oh, wow, I said this in this way when I could have done it this this way, but they're they're opening up their eyes and seeing the change by monitoring on a that's one um that's one exercise I do. Wow, that sounds like something that I I would incorporate right away after lunch (laughs) into my patient visit. That's amazing. Okay, so finding out what the intrinsic motivation is. Yes, that's really really interesting. How about you, Sophia? So um, I think like for, for different modalities, mm-hmm. then you would ask like different types of questions. Right. So maybe like not to, so like, so that you're not so stressed about asking the right questions. So sometimes I think in the half an hour, it's not asking, uh, it's maybe it's not so much about asking like all of the perfect questions. Mm-hmm. It's also mm-hmm. like the present. So we might not need to get like all of the perfect questions, yeah. Yeah. ask all the yeah. right questions. Yeah. I think it's the presence of like being there for them, yeah. being the one yeah. to kind of like understand their world, mm. read like questions framed in different ways. Very cool. I think that's okay. the one that is going to make a difference in like yeah. the 30 minutes itself. Right. Mm. Okay. So obviously with the limitations of a chiropractor like myself, like like there has to be a point in time where, where I got to go like, you know what, I need to refer this patient out. So what are some red flags? Like, so... Yeah, like what are some red flags that, that, that I got to take note of? Uh, or any practitioner that's not, not in the field of psychology. Uh, what are, what's a red flag that you got to go like, all right, I'm sorry that today you're not a chiropractic patient, right? And you have to go see someone else who's specialized in this area. Because we have so many, so many, so many people that have, that have issues and professionals try so hard to like keep them in their office, yeah. but not actually look outside like, the four walls of the office and and i feel like that's something that's really really um something that i personally crave to see you know like if i can write a referral letter to to, to dr trisha i would i was i would buy a, okay I, I would buy a flight for the person <laughs> but like if you're in new jersey like you know if, if you follow me and, and you know like i I'm, I'm all about referring and you're seeing chiropractic in the states that doesn't really care about you i'm like go see dr trisha or or like i mean not everyone has the benefit of getting referred just across the, the hall because that's, uh, that's how Sophie and I work. Like we just oh, cross the each other. So I'm like, if I, if I have any patients who need help, I'm like, that's it. So what are some red flags that you would give me so that I can say, hey, Sophia, I need this patient to come see you and I need you to take over from there and we can co-manage the case. 
Mm. What are some red flags? Is there is there anything that you guys have in your books? Mm. Um, I would think would be like this uh, severity. Mm, okay. Um, I think it's also based on like your own professional um, experience um, yeah, as yeah. well. Like what would be something you feel that you can accomplish yeah, with the yeah, patient, yeah. something that you feel that you know it's out of like what you can accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing on that is that um, mm. so. Um, I think like with the with the patient that you have mentioned. Yeah. So sometimes like you might also be the best person to work with the person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because like you already have like the relationship. Relationship, with them. right, right. Yeah. Right. So sometimes it's also might also be about like consultations. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. could be another way of like working together yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah. I would say that it really depends on um the relationship that you have yeah. with the patient. Yeah. 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 And whether like um, whether this is something that you feel that you could continue to take on. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from from your experience, have other practitioners uh, that are not in the field of psychology have they referred patients to you when they have met some things that are out of their scope? Mm-hmm. Have you had instances right, like that? Right. Like co-management. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Chronic pain. Okay. So I think okay. like perhaps like chiros, physios, they they deal with like the the pain part of it, but mm, there's also mm. a lot of other aspects that kind of like contribute back to the pain. Right. So like um, the pain doesn't go away in the next 24, it, it might go away in the long term, but yeah. it doesn't go away in the next 24 hours or the next week. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. that's quite distressing for the patient. Yeah. So coming okay. in here would help, wow. uh, uh, help us be able to talk about it. Mm. Um, I think mm. it also has to do with a lot of like their expectations about how this suddenly happened. And then, like, right. life is just not going according to what they have expected. Ah, so that's also okay. where we come into play to kind of, like, work together. Yeah, because yeah, working yeah. hand in hand also helps to kind of, like, address the uh, primary issue. Of course, which of was, course. Like, the wow. that, that first brought the patient in. Wow, okay. Trisha, any thoughts? Yes. Um, so I have. So if a patient comes to me and they don't have linear thinking, that means that it's fragmented, so to speak. If they're telling me a story or, or about an incident and it's not linear, then, and if it's fragmented, then I would think that they would need to be referred out. I would not be the right fit for this person. I may even ask them, when was your last exam? Um, would you be willing to see a neuropsychologist to figure out why this person has fragmented thoughts, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Patients referred to me, and um, I have referred patients out. Um, exactly what Sophia said, within um, doctors, within their scope of practice, um, it's it's our duty to help those our patients as long as within our scope of practice, or else we'll be doing a disservice to the patient if we don't refer them out. And um, they, for example, I I don't have a certain specialty like like Sophia said. You know, if this person is dealing with um, severe anger issues or something of that sort, I would refer them to maybe perhaps another psychologist whose specialty is that. I could help the person, but I would think if it's severe anger, for example, um, I would I would probably refer the person out to another patient. Stuff like that. Someone who has OCD, I get I get patients who have OCD, obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. disorder, depression. And anxiety. Um, I get a lot of women who have postpartum depression after having a baby. Um, so yeah, it's it's our, um it's ethical too for, yeah. for physicians and doctors to yeah. make sure that the patient gets the best care possible. We don't want to do a disservice to the patient. That's yeah. why 
I'm so happy. I'm so happy you're doing this, Doctor Ben, because it's very important to collaborate and get to know your colleagues and get yeah, to yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Have you had any personal experiences in your clinic where other other physicians or professionals have referred patients to you, and you guys saw like great outcomes? Yes, yes. For example, um, I I work with a, a lot of. Um, women of color, especially um, women of Indian descent who have been referred to me, not just because they're not just because they're Indian, but because they felt more, some of them felt more comfortable talking to me about any abuse they've been through when they were young. Um, and, and still, it doesn't usually come out after the first session, it can come out after the fourth or fifth, fifth session from, yeah. you know, from yeah. and as doctors and physicians, we need to get to know our patients and build that relationship so then there's that trust right yeah, so yeah, have yeah. that trust and that yes, patient so. you you're the person you may be the first person that this patient is disclosing this trauma to yeah yeah so, wow. but i have had patients referred to me and they have done better with me um rather than the previous um therapist or psychologist which is good because yeah. we did we did our job together both of us yeah, did yeah. Our yeah yeah wow um i kind of wanted to to talk about this little thing that i was looking up uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was this um uh um Ori Gadia. she's the chairman of bain and co and she talks so she's definitely not in the field of healthcare, but she talks about the different i guess a uh, hierarchical um positions in the society and stuff and she was actually using the word expert generalist on chiropractors and and uh, and I believe this is very really fitting for for, uh, for for our purposes today and an expert generalist is kind of like a it's very paradoxical because you have the expert who's like kind of like the specialist right and you have the generalist that someone somebody deals with more general stuff so how can you fit those two words in there and um, and she was saying an expert generalist is someone who has the ability and curiosity to master and collect expertise in many different disciplines industries skills capabilities, countries, and topics, he or she can then, without necessarily even realizing it, draw on that palette of diverse knowledge mm -hmm. to recognize patterns and connect the dots across multiple areas. And I feel like that's just the heart of collaboration, right? Like if you have, you go like, I, I'm, I'm an expert in my own field, I'm a specialist, right? Like, like all three of us are. But at the same time, like our perspectives are kind of like the generalists we always want to make sure that we get to to um, glean from others, you know, and I and I just feel, feel like that that is such a, a, a great, great model to have. And she goes on by saying experts generalists face far less competition because our skill set is so diverse. The more fields you can pull from, the fewer people you find taking the same approach. And, you know, at, at the same time, like, like as you are an expert in, in your field, like, you have to know when to refer out. And that's when, like, you know, we, stuff like that, like chats like that would actually be so beneficial, co-management. So I'm just so glad that, that, that all three of us have that same, that same mentality. So th yes. this, yeah, this is just great. Um, uh, this definitely wasn't part of the, of the plan, but I just wanted <laughs> to put there because that's such a, a great thing, which is why, in, even in my field, guys, like, like, like a lot of you guys actually do notice that in my clinic, I do have different techniques that I clean from. Because a lot of people come into me and go like, hey, Dr. Ben, like, do you do this technique? Right? Like, even like, like when I chatted with some of the professionals here in the core collective here in Singapore, it was like, oh, hey, you look like you do this technique. Like, I've seen this video. 
how good are you? Blah, 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 blah. But then when they actually step to my office, they go, oh, wait, like you do like five, six different techniques. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, find that, I find that you can't just be devoted to one technique and expect to see all the results that you want. You know, right. you have to kind of like glean from it. So, so this, this is yeah. like the intra-professional collaboration too. Like even my perspective, I'm like, I had this skill set. So I was actually training this one particular technique right from the get-go in Cairo yeah. school. Like, this is like 2017. And right about 20, mid, mid of 2017, I'm like, I feel like I'm not able to get to patients who have actually really difficult chronic pain. And that's why I, I studied like applied kinesiology, like using muscle testing and all that stuff. And what I've learned, which is so relevant to what, we, we are, what we're doing here today, is that if you look in the spinal cord, the, the chronic pain, once it reaches a certain threshold, not only does it go into the upper parts of the brain, like in the cortex, but it actually goes into the emotional limbic system too. Yeah. And it starts to form all these neural connections with the emotional centers. And then every time this emotion comes back, whether it is true, it might not even be triggered by the same pain from which the emotional connection came, but it, just the same emotion actually does bring back that connected physical or musculoskeletal pain, uh, however you call it. And that's just so important because, um, and I'm seeing this, all these research articles in school um, talk, talk about like acupuncture and chiropractic, like when it's done right, right, it actually does help with chronic pain. And I love what you said about people with chronic pain, like you, you guys have to talk them through, like, hey, I know you might not be able to see the results from your chiropractor, Dr. Ben, but rest, rest assured, like based on my, um, my, my, my standards of measures, or just like what you talked about, like as long as you see progress, right, that, that you are getting better and all these different assurance, like would just help everyone too. And I, and, and there's this technique that I do and it's kind of interesting, but, um, but I actually tap on acupuncture points on, on the patient's face and actually use muscle testing to figure out like how chronic is this? Like if this is just an acute pain that happened like two weeks ago, then it's something that we would tap differently. But there's, there's just this beautiful model of the body that allows us to access chronic pain. And I just can't imagine like that patients who get that for me get actually talked through their progress with someone like you. Yeah. You know, in the field of psychology, and this this is beautiful to watch. Like, so I like to see that all of us are expert generalists as well. And yeah. I don't know, this just gets me all excited. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Love it. It's and it's all connected to the brain, how the tendons and the muscular system, everything is just intertwined and connected. And I, when you said acupuncture, I was thinking of acupuncture as well because. Uh, it's very that's very healing if some people believe in it and, and are yeah. open to it acupuncture is very very healing even um getting therapeutic massages that's helpful too you know um people don't realize too when you have an illness or have pain that can sometimes start off anxiety or depression that yeah. that starts um yeah. yeah people don't realize it they don't, and, and vice versa, but some, for example, some people who have diabetes may suffer with depression more. Mm, yeah. they that they're not eating the certain foods that they were eating before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wow. have, so they may get more energy, but they, but they may suffer some more depression because of, the, because of whatever relationship they have with food, what their body is used to, what kind of yeah. food is wow. good, right? But yeah, then... Yeah. When you eliminate some of those foods, people get depressed. People don't yeah. feel. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. 
expected. It's a, yes, it's very important that people know if you have an illness, just be aware of any uh, symptoms of depression or anxiety. It's very, yeah. you may not have had it. Patients may, people may not have had that before until they got yeah. diagnosed with something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so amazing. I feel like we just go on now. On, on, that tangent for a while but yeah i'm just kind of going back to the two main um therapies right that in field psychology so i know we i know we touched uh we touched on uh Gottman's theory how about cbt like what's how how would you guys describe cbt or um i guess yeah describe the effectiveness and the prevalence yeah. of cbt I, I can take it yeah. um and, and sophie can um, jump in she wants um cognitive behavioral therapy um cbt it's really about how your thoughts affect your emotions and your behavior so thoughts heart behavior thoughts emotions mm -hmm. behavior and it's so interesting because we can control ourselves we can control our behaviors but it's important that we know what the incident is that made us think a certain way and Oh, is it affecting our feelings, which can be valid and some feelings or our thoughts can be skewed based on our childhood experiences or based on our, our experiences and our and who we are, our internal working model, right? Wow. And behavior wow. exhibited. And then you catch that behavior. And if it's toxic behavior, then you are aware of that and you're like, hold up, I can change this. So it's about behavior change, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and it, it could go in different avenues, right? So I like doing mindfulness, right? That's part of um, one of the ther theory, uh, ther uh, theories I use. And it's mm -hmm. about visualization and um, mindfulness exercises, breathing, be at, being at one with your body, um, mm -hmm. making sure you're able to emotionally regulate. Emotionally regulate is to basically lessen any anger issues um being aware of your sadness how can you handle your sadness and mm -hmm. and you know what some people don't know this but I, sophia probably knows it the therapist and psychologist knows this anger can be depression wow anger can be a form of depression because depression looks different in everybody wow okay ways and with covid People should be very aware if they're feeling irritable very easily, if they're snapping at one another very easily. That could be a form, that could be a symptom of depression. Yeah. Wow. 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 So I love therapy. It's really, it's really yeah. great for children too. It's really great. Wow. Okay. Sophie, anything to add? CBT? Um, right. Um, I, I don't think I have much to add about CBT. I think it's like one, one of the forms. I think the one that, um, uh, Trisha mentioned about CBT, like mindfulness would be something like that I integrate and yeah. use as well. So right. it would be more of like acceptance, commitment therapy act. Yeah, yeah. So that focuses on helping people to kind of like accept their current okay. situations and then commit to their values and commit to behaving in a certain way. So I think that's wow. also on the CBT, that's um, integration of like CBT and mindfulness itself. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But I think jumping on about your point about anger, I thought it was interesting to kind of like bring up 
about um, how in the last year when yeah. the entire COVID situation yeah. happened. Yeah. So I think there were a lot of increase in anger episodes. I'm not too sure if you realized wow. no, wow, wow. So there were lots of like, people who were angry with other people who were like not wearing masks properly yeah. um, or like going out, yeah. bringing their children out. So there were like a lot of like angry rages at other people. Mm, mm. So I thought that that was something that really came out wow. um, because of how everybody didn't everybody was trying to kind of like wrap their heads around the entire pandemic situation yeah and yeah that came out as like one of the responses yeah wow. so i thought that that was interesting to kind of like bring up as, as well so would you call that more of like a secondary manifestation of just like bottled up feel- feelings right um, Did you say that? I mean, because that's something that I do notice too. Like pe- people used to kind of having an anger management problem, like being lonely and isolated, and you know, which is inevitable in this pandemic. Like people just start getting angry, which is I mean, exactly what you you mentioned. Which is wow, okay, this is really interesting because they don't have an outlet. A lot of so what's mm. great is that you can incorporate someone's hobbies into the treatment plan so then they have that outlet so they aren't they don't exhibit so much anger irritability for example painting playing playing instrument um writing poems i have so many patients doing pottery i have so many patients who went back to hobbies that they used to do in high school and they're adults now or when they were children and they picked it up again drawing different things and that's where they can channel the their symptoms of depression or any irritability and anger. That's and and they that's where they can channel whatever symptoms they have, and they can make beautiful artwork. I do art therapy too, so it's, wow. it's CBT is so interesting where you can you can incorporate someone's lifestyle into the treatment plan. So they make it you make it fun, you make it interesting. The patient is going to want to keep doing. Um, these exercises want to keep doing work in order to build up themselves and to lessen the anxiety and to envision and have the best quality of life possible that they can have because they deserve yeah. they're worthy of it and these are all things that you you talk about in CBT they're, wow. they're but what what makes them work what's what what their family values are you know so wow that's amazing yeah that's really really amazing wow okay. <laughs> No, this is just, it's just blowing my mind by, by the second. It's amazing. Um, I actually love what, what one of our, um, our viewers commented, Regan Lee, he's a, he's a teacher friend of mine from, from, from my church. And he's, he says, even beyond the field of healthcare specifically, having an awareness of these concepts, Dominic Theory, CBT, is very important. As a teacher, I can apply these to how I interact with my students and their families. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is just far-reaching far-reaching um application uh and it's just it's just amazing yeah i i can't wow i work I, might be, I, I love what regan said I, I worked with teachers in oakland who did this oh wow cbt and did the thoughts and feelings charts with their students yeah, so that yeah. they can monitor teachers do use it with their students so that's a great comment regan you're on the money with that come on yeah, and that's, that's in Oakland too, Oakland, California. Yeah, and that's a rough place. I've been it's there. It's a rough place. North Oakland. Oh gosh. It's a rough place. And yeah. 
participants loved mindfulness exercises from CBT. They absolutely loved it. And when they would, after they saw me and they went back to this class, the teachers would tell me, I don't know what happened after you leave, after these kids leave your office, but they are just like so chill when they come back to the class ready to learn. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Right before yeah, Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about this research that I've been been, mm -hmm. been delving really deep into. And it, it, that's actually the upper, like the upper cervical spine, the, the upper neck. And, and that's actually where the brainstem, it's, it's, um, it, it's kind of encased within. And, and there's all these really important vascular structures. I, I mean, not, not to get too deep into all the anatomy and stuff, but like you have, you have your vertebral artery and all these stuff that actually um, brings blood into the brain and also takes all the toxins out of the brain, flushes it out through your lymphatic system, through your kidneys and stuff. And we've actually found in, in, in the US, like all the research actually is primarily done there. And a lot of these um, mental illnesses, neurodegenerative conditions, and it ranges from really like mild Alzheimer's to really yeah. bad like um, seizures and schizophrenia. And a lot of them, I think the, the, the quoted statistic was 88% of these patients, they all have some form of misalignment in the neck. Wow. And a lot of them have have a like a C1 problem. Um, okay, this is not part of the script, but I'm, I'm going to show you guys all these stuff. <laughs> but this is actually what the, the first bone in your spine looks like. Okay. This is a keychain that we all got as Cairo students. Nice. Yeah, and this is where the brainstem goes in, yeah. right? And if there's any misalignment anywhere, it can it can hit all the vascular structures that are just lying adjacent to it, and you can just have all these crazy blood flow problems. And so so it kind of makes me go like, would would there ever like be a plateau to any of these treatments that these people seek from outside? You know, and they go like, what if it's just like what if it takes just an adjustment, and all these therapies and stuff that they're receiving from the outside, all of a sudden it just becomes a lot more like the benefits of those just becomes more amplified and and i actually started you know purchasing some equipment in my in this office and trying to um, invest in certain courses and stuff just to allow myself to learn all that and and i just cannot wait to see patients actually starting to benefit from that i just had this um a testimony from this girl who, who i see in my clinic and she's she's super super young and she's been having um severe migraines as a child right and it was it was in the abdomen, but it started in the head. And I learned in the history that she was actually forced out of the mother's birth canal because the mother had been in labor for eighteen hours. Wow. And what 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 the 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 obstetrician did was to use a forceps and pulled on tugged on the baby's head because the baby's head was a lot bigger than, than average. And that caused a big misalignment in the spine. And when I saw her x rays, I'm like, God, you've been living that for two decades now. And she been on anxiety she's been on depression meds for god knows how long and after just just at one adjustment i left her alone for about a week and she said the frequency of her symptoms went down by almost 50 percent. and when she went back for her review the doctor's like wait you should be done with your meds now right and the doc and she's like no but i didn't feel like um i needed that anymore and he's like wait what did she do and then she said oh i just got my atlas aligned and I mean, these are words that she never heard of, right? So yeah. like just receiving that kind of education, it kind of makes me go like, wow, if, if only I could get into 
that the mind of that practitioner as well and start to talk about how we can both you know co co manage her case because right now it's like I'm managing her case by myself but I'm also aware that she's also being managed by some other professional yeah. you know so it's just amazing what what the body does and how everything is just so, so intricately linked absolutely when you're wow. stressed, your brain produces more cortisol and cortisol from stress you know yeah. people people don't know but there's studies out there um from different psychological illnesses such as um such as depression or or different ailments it can change the general composition of your brain there's exactly right. that's right know that they the brain is very amazing, but the fun, the, it's not funny, but the great thing is that we have all this technology and so many people have this passion to learn about mental health and the brain that you can totally combine the both and see, you know what, actually, I need to, to get my emotions in check. I need to see a therapist. I need to uh, lessen my symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, it can have later effects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your general brain composition can change it can yeah. um if you think about it when a baby is born if a baby is born with a, an umbilical cord tied around his or her neck oxygen yeah. is the, yes, that's right what happens there's cognitive disabilities because of that right yeah 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 wow you know, yeah, this is amazing. I mean, just thinking, just kind of going back to this, the, this example of this little <laughs> cannabis lineman, right? Like, oh, I love what you said about cognition and we talk about CBT and all this stuff, but the prefrontal cortex, just like the way all the executive decisions are being made and like all these therapies that, that you guys are so good at, at doing is, is actually trying to get them to better the health of the uh, frontal exactly. lobe. Yeah. The prefrontal cortex, where all the all the decision making is made, and whether to jump off the building or not, whether to cut themselves or not, like all these stuff. Like, like what if you know, as as much as they're getting all these fantastic um, psychological help, but but internally, they're yeah. able. Yeah, which is why I love exactly what you talked about, Dr. Tricia, like about the internal environment uh, that like what makes them do what they do. Like what if intrinsically their anatomy is able, their their physiology is giving them that natural blood flow. So that whatever they receive from you guys on the outside exactly. can actually be carried out even, even, even more in, in, like, to the fullest potential. And exactly. it just blows my mind. I'm just like, wow, this, this is amazing. Because <laughs> for stress, can, stress can, can, um, can form tumors. It can form, uh, it can have, form a stroke. Yeah. Bleed brain, if you think about it, right? So if... Yeah. People, patients don't get a hold of a therapist or a psychologist or get to learn some of these techniques on how to lessen symptoms of depression and anxiety yeah. or, or trauma. Trauma yeah. changes the brain. Huge, yeah. Changes yeah. If, if the, all of that is ignored, then yes, physical ailments in the brain can happen. Illnesses can yeah. happen. Yeah, you know? yeah. So wow. it's really, it's all connected. It really is. All so amazing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anything to add, Sophia? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I was just thinking as we're saying all of that that I should probably go and get my spinal health checked. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing too. I should go see a chiropractor. <laughs> oh, I can really, I, I can recommend you some chiropractors in New York, in New oh in New Jersey. Oh. I might not, I might not some. Yeah, but I can look them up and, and nice. give a recommendation to you. Yes, yeah. I need to get on. That'd be great. 
I was actually just thinking about the history taking in my in my in my in my new patient forms, and one of the things that I harp on a lot is is any injuries from the past, and I love how we talk about traumas uh, to, to quite a big extent, and 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 what we've learned in in science is that any injuries actually causes this like frontal lobe and, cere and cerebellum loop, and it actually breaks them out of the loop, and and they're not able to to yeah. have proper motor patterns because of the injury. And it's actually crazy how in, in functional neurology, which is yep. one of the techniques that I do, uh, we actually get to find injuries, which is why I said list all the injuries that you ever had. And, and a lot of patients, they actually don't do that. They just said, oh, I had an ankle sprain like five years ago, but I never thought it would play a part in my low back pain today. Yeah. Right. But then when we adjust the low back pain, all of a sudden we go like, hey, you know what? It's hitting a plateau because your injury in your right ankle has caused your brain to shut off a certain part yeah. of your low back and it's causing you to not have the proper motor patterns which is why your back gives out like the moment you bend down the ground to, to pick up to, to pick up a scissors off the floor you know so all these different things like as we're taking rid getting rid of all these injuries like we're actually helping the brain to be a lot healthier and controlling yeah. all these pathways that we're so unconscious of yeah you know yeah so it's amazing that's why i spend the first 15 minutes you know just getting rid of all these injuries from the patient based on their history and i barely even like adjust the spine like in, on the first in the first visit which is why it was quite a relevant question when i asked you guys like how long would you you know um ask the questions like um um i i mean doing the history take like how long can you spend to kind of just zoom like go beeline take a beeline straight into their mind and ask for the right the, the relevant questions so so yeah thanks for all that any more testimonies we have about 10 minutes left and i kind of want us to just flood this video chat with like all the testimonies because i mean we already have a lot that went on um yeah but i kind of want us to add to the to the fire <laughs> any testimonies that you guys might want to share um i kind of want to talk about just say that it's very important to get sleep in Make sure wow, yeah. you sleep because people are not aware that sleep affects your mental health and can make you feel more depressed and more more tired, more lethargic. So sleep is so important for the brain. And make sure you eat, like Google brain foods. There's certain foods that help your brain, like mushrooms are really great for your brain. Yeah. It, um, it helps the outer layer that protects your brain. That's it nice. helps that. So it's a good thing to um, to Google um, or look up brain foods, power brain foods. Very important. Mm -hmm. and yeah, can... yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah there's actually a book. Uh, there's a book that I that I've read um, over and over. It's called uh, "What Would the Brain Say If It Could Speak?" Yeah. And all the chapters they range from like um, I, I would say that I'm dehydrated. I would say that I'm fatigued. I would say that I'm dry. Yeah. and all these different things and talk about nutrition. So if you guys are looking for a book, um, Dr. Michael Allen, he's a functional neurologist and he will right. give a lot of uh, insights on the brain food. So yeah, thanks doc for bringing yeah. that up. That's, I think that's during COVID, yeah, I think during COVID that's very important. I think people mm -hmm. are trying to eat healthy. I know a lot of people gained weight during COVID, um, but I think eating great brain foods, power brain foods can keep, can help, help, a lessen symptoms of depression and anxiety too. Yeah, I really yeah. Um, wow, amazing. So Go ahead, testimonies. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I don't think like specific testimonies from my end, 
But I thought that um, what was particularly meaningful over like this past year was helping people um, to understand a little bit better about what they are experiencing yeah. because of the pandemic. Mm. Because a lot mm. of them, they come in thinking that they have a problem or they are the problem when mm. it comes to like anxiety, yeah, depression, yeah. or anger. Yeah. But then like coming through and talking through about all of these different things yeah. um, help them to realize and like remove a lot of like the the guilt and um, the yeah. guilt uh, on mm. themselves. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. I thought that that was something that was like very, very meaningful, especially yeah. with like journeying with different people. Yeah. I think we're all going through it together. Yeah. So I think yeah. journeying with them um, through this process and helping them to understand that a little bit yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. That was okay. really like very, very meaningful for me for the entire this year so right 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 okay um just gonna end off um i kind of want us to to do uh, this kind of speed round type of thing so i'm just gonna fire questions and we just gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna get the both of you to just shoot answers off the top of your head okay um biggest satisfaction in your job dr trisha seeing behavior change with people who have experience and children who have experienced trauma wow wow that's huge for themselves wow children being able to finish high school being able to get into the college that someone told them that they would never get into that sort of thing yeah yeah yeah. wow sophia biggest satisfaction i would i would say it would be seeing people kind of like um, set themselves out of the invisible gates or prisons that they have put themselves in mm-hmm. so i think seeing mm-hmm. them step out of that right that's right. like the biggest right. satisfaction okay next one ideal patient oh <laughs> ideal patient <laughs> an ideal patient so then this is a psychologist in me i want to ask a follow i want to answer question <laughs> i want to analyze the question I'm, I'm gonna try not to do that um and also, it's one AM there, so. <laughs> ideal patients, um, maybe a teenage girl who has suffered sexual abuse, who um, overcame it, um, who is still healing, but her her self esteem has elevated, and she's able to have um, a steady relationship, have great friends, yeah. able to manage her emotions. She becomes a successful lawyer, that sort of thing. And when she yeah. has been told that she's not worthy all her life, that would be. An awesome patient. <laughs> wow. 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 Amazing. Sophia. Right. So for for me, I think it's difficult. Um to that was a difficult question. Right? I know, I know, I know. Right. But I would say the ideal ideal patient would be anybody who comes in and who would entrust to me they are like their stories, their life yeah. journey, and who would entrust me to go through this journey with them. Wow. Okay. Uh, right, 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 right. So where would you see yourself in five years? I know we talked about that over lunch yeah. last time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But where would you see yourself over five years? Um, in, in, in over the next five years? I would like to do things um, like this, but um, also in different platforms and help uh, help teach people about mental health issues, help them be aware of um, any mental health issues they may have to give them tips on how to alleviate symptoms. Um, So I see myself on a global platform, basically speaking about these things to um, in villages, rural villages to like the best cities in the world. That's what. Wow, that's a big, big dream. I love that. 
Yeah, you got to dream big or you go, or you go home, right? Dream big or go home. That's big. right. Sophia, um, I know you told, you told me what your dreams are for right. the next five yeah. years, but you can share, share with the yeah, audience. Yeah, right. So I think uh, for me, I'm in the process of building a team. So I think my five-year goal would be to be able to build a team with like people of um, similar vision of like quality client care. Wow. I'm very committed to like professional development mm -hmm. um, and learning, and also like with a heart of a uh, heart for the community. Wow! Um, I think like the end goal for the five years would be to like move into like setting up um, something else that it makes. Um, mental health more accessible to everybody yeah, so i think yeah. that's a little bit of like the not-for-profit um more community-based yeah, like yeah. five-year goal that yeah. i'm looking at wow. wow good amazing amazing well i ran out of witty questions to ask <laughs> but um yeah um did you guys have anything else to add like any any last bits to add because we are yeah. about to wrap so. I, I have one thing because it's been burning my head so if Please. you if you get muscle spasms, like that's involuntary muscle movement. Yeah. That does, and you mentioned it, Ben, that the brain sometimes um, sends different messages when you're not aware of it. It's because of stress. Mm, wow. Your brain, that, that part of your brain that's for movement is so stressed that that's why you get muscle spasms in different areas of your body, right? Sophia, she's shaking her head. So I just wanted to... Um, let everyone know about that, about muscle spasms, where it comes from, and stress. Wow. Oh, stress, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, when I think of muscle spasms, I think of different nutritional def deficiencies and yeah. possible injury, yeah. uh, strain the muscle and all that stuff. Wow, but that, that's great enlightenment. So the next time someone comes in, hey, doc, I have a muscle spasm, I'm going to ask, do you have stress? I think. <laughs> What's, what has changed in your life? Yeah, yeah. What have you gone through a major change in your life recently? What's the biggest stressor in your life? Yes. Like that. Wow. That. yes. wow. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Well, with that, I kind of wanted to um, uh, thank everyone else for being here, especially our two lovely guests, Dr. Trisha and Sophia. Uh, I think it's been a great pleasure uh, for us all to glean from each other. But mm -hmm. um, really, the heart behind this is, is to is to see collaborations, not to go like, hey, I'm better than you, you're better than me. But seeing how what's inspired the last hour and 15 minutes is just truly mind-blowing and i with my personal vision um uh, which i hope it's kind of impacted you guys too is is to really see that every single professional can come together and and i'm just envisioning this like referral network you know where we can all come together across the nation you know intra-professionally interprofessionally and stuff and i think um yeah just having graduated from a school that was so right by riddle with competition you know it's just kind of it does make me so hungry to see things so this is a dream come true for me personally and um yeah if if you guys are keen to to find out more about kai genesis hit my website sophia wellness clinic swc that's her own uh little baby um uh, and you have a team coming up right and and, and that's in the works and and she'll definitely post more about that soon and Dr. Trisha, core behavioral therapist. That's her, her, her clinic name. And you guys should give her a shout out. She, and you got a YouTube channel too. I have a YouTube and I have a podcast. It's called The Core Behavioral Therapist. Make sure you subscribe. And if you want yeah. um, to talk with me or have a consultation, 
go to my IG page, my Instagram page. It's right here, the.corebehavioraltherapist.com. I mean, wow. you know, at, but, and, um, and uh, send me a message and we can set something up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, amazing, amazing. Well, um, just kind of a bit of an advertisement on the June the 11th, I'm still in the, in the works of um, trying to get a, uh, a functional neurologist who deals with a lot of psychological issues as well as the upper neck as well. Um, so both him and I, we share a lot of comments. So that's going to be more of the intra-professional type of uh, collaboration that we see. But um, if that doesn't fall through, we, uh, if that falls through, we actually have a sport massage therapist that's lined up to for us to get on to jump on the IG live too. So, um, yeah, wherever you guys are at, we appreciate your uh, your participation. Um, if if you can send prayers uh, uh, on uh, to Singapore, we appreciate it because we are facing the risk of another lockdown. So do do keep us in your prayers. Um, yeah, thank thanks again. This is Dr. Ben, Dr. Trisha across the screen, and we have amazing Sophia right here so yeah from the bottom of my heart we just want to thank the both of you thank you thanks thank for uh contributing to the this holistic wellness world that we live in and we just cannot wait to see more breakthrough in this in in, in this area thank okay you. um i think that, i think it wouldn't be a singapore thing it, it wouldn't be it is so customary for us to take selfies here in singapore okay. so i'm not sure how it is in new jersey but but I'm just going to assume that, that you like to jump on the bandwagon too. So <laughs> we're just going to take a selfie, all right? I'm just going to... Okay. I'm trying to see if I can. All right. One, two, three. Hey. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye, Dr. Trisha. Have a great Bye, sleep. By the way, Massive props to you. It's already almost 1.30 in the morning in New Jersey. Oh, is it? On a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you have a great shower. <laughs> and uh, I hope you have a great night and have a great weekend. You too. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Ben. Bye. Bye, Doc. Bye. 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 Bye.